And now we take you to Evangel Church in Tallahassee, Florida, to another powerful, life-changing message. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. We're going to start off in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. We're in a series of messages called The Blessed Life. We're talking about how God views your money. And, and I want to talk to you today about four myths about money. Four myths about money. And let me start off by asking you a question. How many of you have ever read Genesis chapter 3 and pondered some about Adam and Eve and their sin? How many of you, you say, yeah. How many of you have ever had the thought, well, boy, I sure am sad that Adam and Eve messed up because they seem to mess it up for all of us, right? Yeah, they brought a sin nature into the world. And we find in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, God is addressing Adam and Eve. And it says, to Adam, he said, cursed is the ground because of, your, of, of you. Think about that. Cursed is the ground because of you. Adam couldn't have felt very good about that. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. Now note verse 19. He says, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. I'm just assuming, John, are we not able to get that slide up there right now, okay. Well, if you can catch up with us when you can, you know, you know our guys in the technical uh, department, they just do a tremendous job. Give them a big hand of applause. That's right. Again, verse 19, he says, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to eat your food. In other words, he says, listen, until Jesus returns, you are going to earn your living by the sweat of your brow. Now, thousands and thousands of years ago, people based their wealth on the number of livestock they had. There was a time when people based their wealth on the number of camels they had or the number of cattle they have. And, you know, when this country was first founded, in the early days after the founding of the United States, wealth was, was, was based on the amount of property that you own, the amount of real estate, because those that had been in Europe Man, you couldn't just buy property over in Europe. It was hard to come by. And people came to the new land and they were astounded at all the property, all the real estate, all the tracts of land you could have. And it was only later that wealth became defined by how much gold and silver and natural resources you had. And then about the time of the Industrial Revolution, you know, wealth came to be measured by how much goods you could accumulate and how much paper money you had because people were just then beginning to trust paper money. We take it for granted, don't we? In fact, most of us don't use paper money. What do we use? Plastic, right? Okay. Well, let me share with you this morning four myths about money. And we're going to look at these from the scriptures. Four myths about money. Myth number one, poverty is right up there next to godliness. Poverty is right up there next to godliness. And some of you look at me like, what's he talking about? But, you know, it wasn't that long ago that, that John Wesley, the founder of the United Methodist Church, John Wesley would not ordain a man to the ministry unless he agreed to take a vow of poverty. Okay, now the Methodists don't do that today. But they used to require that, and he based that in part on Luke 9, 58. You remember Jesus, Jesus who lived up by the Sea of Galilee. He was raised in Nazareth, but he, he spent his time ministering around the Sea of Galilee, 30 miles around. He spent a lot of time in Capernaum. Well, in, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus and the disciples are on their way down to Jerusalem. It was about a hundred mile trek to go from the high country up around Galilee down all the way to Jerusalem. And most of the pilgrims would travel the Jordan River Valley Road. And there were a lot, there were always caravans who were sleeping out under the stars. Well, it was on that trip that a man came to Jesus and said, Lord, I want to follow you. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and, and foxes have holes and birds have nests. 
but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And, 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 and Brother John Wesley, like a lot of people, took that scripture and said, oh, well, I guess that means that Jesus didn't have a home. And yet, that's not exactly what the Bible says. If you'll look at Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And again, we, we don't have that for the screen. Okay, Mark 2, 1. Let you, trust me, I'm going to read it to you. <laughs> it says, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. He came back to Capernaum and the people heard that he had come home. Now, we don't know if Jesus rented a house. We don't know if he had bought a house. We don't know if he had made it with his own hands because he had those abilities. We don't know if, if Jesus was renting a room from Peter and his wife. We really don't know. But the Bible does say that Jesus had come home. Now, at the crucifixion, let me read this to you. This is from John chapter 19, verses 23 through 24. It says, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. It was seamless. It was so valuable that the soldiers said, let's not tear it. Let's decide by lot who gets it. In other words, let's cast dice to see who gets this very, very expensive, seamless garment that Jesus was wearing because everybody didn't have a seamless garment. Only the wealthy could afford a seamless garment. Not only did Jesus have a seamless garment, but think about this. Jesus had enough money that he needed a personal treasurer to travel around with him. How many of you have enough money that you need a treasurer walking around with you all the time? That you need an accountant walking around with you? And we know this because the Bible says that Judas was the treasurer and Judas was stealing from the money box. How many of you have enough money that you could have your, your, your treasurer stealing from you, embezzling from you, and you still have enough to make ends meet? Come on, let me just see your hands. But that was the condition. That was the case with Jesus. I'm not saying at all. Please hear me. I am not saying for one minute that Jesus lived the lifestyle of the rich and famous. But what I am saying to you is that his needs were supplied. That when Jesus needed to pay taxes, he knew how to tell Peter to go fishing to find the coin in the fish's mouth. When they ran out of wine at the wedding, he knew how to turn the water into wine. I'm just telling you that Jesus had his needs supplied. But the question is this, are poverty and godliness synonymous? I don't think so. I don't think there's any virtue in being poor. I don't think there's any virtue in being rich. In fact, dear ones, the truth is this, you, in this old world you'll find dishonest poor people and you'll find dishonest rich people. But many of the folks that we read about in the Bible were well-to-do folks. Think about this. Job had a fortune. In fact, Job was one of the wealthiest men. The book of Job, many theologians believe, was written right after the book of Genesis. Now, we don't really know that, but it was written a long time ago. Job had more than almost anybody else. He lost it all, but then when he got his heart right with God, he recovered it all. In fact, listen to, listen to this. This is Job 42, 12. So the Lord blessed Job in the second half of his life, even more than at the beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep. Anybody here have 14,000 sheep? Come on. That was a lot of sheep way back six, 7,000 years ago. That's a whole lot of sheep today. 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels. Anybody got 6,000 camels? Just asking, okay. 1,000 female donkeys. Anybody got 1,000 female? I don't think so. He also gave Job seven more sons and three more daughters. Verse 16, Job lived 140 years after that, living to see four generations of his children and grandchildren. Then he died an old man, an old man who lived a long, full life. I think about Joseph. Joseph went down to Egypt. He had been a, a young prince when he's in his dad's household, but then he's sold into slavery. He goes down as a prisoner, as a slave. 
He spends at least 10 years in jail, but he trusted God and God made him the number two man in the land. He became a wealthy man. I think about Abraham. Even before his name was changed, you know, the name Abram means exalted father. And Abraham means father of a multitude. Well, the Bible says, and again, we're going to put it on the screen, but you can't see it. Genesis 13, verse 2, write it down. It says this, it says, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver, and in gold. That's Genesis chapter 13, verse 2. Then I think about King David. David was so wealthy, you know, what his heart's desire was to build a temple for God. And God said, no, you're a man of bloodshed. Your son Solomon's going to build the temple. But what you can do is you can start saving towards the construction project. So listen to this, 1 Chronicles 29, verses 3 through 5. It says, and now because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I'm giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. I'm donating more than 112 tons of gold. Everybody say 112 tons. Ernie, 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 uh, Ford used to sing 16 tons and what do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. He was talking about tons of coal. He says, I'm giving, I'm giving 112 tons of gold and 262 tons of refined silver to be used for overlaying the walls of the buildings. That's a huge Huge amount of wealth. Solomon was a wealthy man. In the New Testament, Barnabas owned some real estate. And Barnabas sold an entire track of real estate. And he gave, you got to remember, gifts were not tax deductible in the first century. He gave that entire gift. He paid taxes on it. And then he gave that entire gift to the local church. Philemon. And Paul's epistles was a wealthy man. How many of you know there's an anointing to give? I'm going to say it again. There's an anointing to give. Sometimes we restrict the anointing to feeling the goosebumps. Sometimes we restrict the anointing to, oh man, he was anointed today. Or boy, he sure blew it today, didn't he? <laughs> I loved what we sang today. We sang my favorite song. Boy, it was anointed. Or we didn't sing my favorite song, so I don't guess it was very anointed. Folks, we sometimes make the anointing so subjective. But the Bible says that there's an anointing to give. In fact, giving is a gift of the Holy Ghost. In fact, we read in Romans chapter 12, verses, here we go, hallelujah. Come on, come on, give my hand. Woo, what a go, guys. What a go. John is a jet airplane pilot. And he, and he travels, he travels around the world. I knew he'd figure this out. Thanks, John. <laughs> Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8 says, We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. Let me stop right there. Did you know that studies say that 60% of us have the gift of serving and helps? I'm going to say it again, 60% of everybody in this house, you've got the gift of serving and the gift of helps, and we need you to serve right here at Evangel. We've got a place for you to serve. Come to Pastor's Connect class, Sunday mornings at 930. We'll give you a spiritual gifts inventory in the third and the second week, and, and, and we'll help you get an understanding of places that you can serve both in the church as well as in the world. Amen? Because there's an anointing there. See? If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is encouraged, to encourage, then give encouragement. How many of you know you're sitting beside some people who probably need you to exercise your gift of encouragement today? Okay. Now watch this. If it is giving... If it is giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. I mean, the last thing you need is somebody that's showing mercy and they're griping about it. Ah, I got to help you today. <laughs> we, we, 
My wife called the city of Tallahassee the other day to get a, a service that it provides us as a taxpayer. And this person was just the grumpiest person. They had to get me on the phone to, to ensure that the homeowner was actually talking to this lady. Now, Kathy's as much a homeowner as I am. But nonetheless, for some reason, they wanted to talk to me. And this person had just woken up on the wrong side of the bed. Dear ones, we, mercy is giving people what they don't deserve. That's what Jesus has done for us. He's given us mercy. Dear ones, when it comes to dealing with other people, go ahead and make up your mind. I'm going to show mercy. I'm going to show mercy. But I'm going to do it cheerfully. If, I, if I'm having a bad day, other people are not going to know about it. Now turn to somebody and say, he's preaching about you this morning. Here's the second myth, myth number two. There's a relationship between money and happiness. Some people believe there's really a relationship between money and happiness. Dear ones, if money brought happiness, Kate Spade, or the woman who took on the name Kate Spade, would never have ended her life. Some of you women know Kate Spade makes some of the nicest handbags out there. If you go to Dillard's, it's either the day after Christmas or the day of New Year's Day, one of those days, you can buy Kate Spade bags at a reduced price. I know, I've got a wife and three daughters. <laughs> but last June, of, June a year ago, the lady who was known as Kate Spade, wasn't her real name, but she ended up taking her own life. See, if, if money could buy happiness, then Anthony Bourdain, the, the, this guy who had the, the television program about traveling and eating in exotic places, he would never have taken his life. If money could buy happiness, then, 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 then the number one comedian in my eyes in the world who was Robin Williams, he was the number one funny guy. If money could buy happiness, Robin Williams would not have ended his life. But money can't buy happiness. In fact, many times, lots of money brings us own set of problems. You know, I remember reading a couple of years ago about a German businessman named Adolf Merkel. Adolf Merkel was the 36th wealthiest man in the world. He had a net worth of almost $13 billion. Everybody say $13 billion. Now that'll, that'll stagger your, 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 your mind for a minute. $13 billion. He owned a number of companies and corporations. And in 2008, two of his corporations had liquidity problems. That means they didn't have enough cash, okay? Two of his companies have liquidity problems. And he lost close to $3 billion. Well, that seems like a terrible loss to you and me, but when you're worth almost 13 billion and you lose three, that still leaves you over $9 billion. But did you know that Mr. Merkel couldn't take it? And Mr. Merkel in January of 2009 threw himself in front of a moving train and ended his life. I'm just saying money can't buy happiness. Look at what Paul said to Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. He says, listen, if you have a little something, don't think you're better than other people. Don't you be arrogant about it because you didn't bring anything into this world and you're not going to take anything out with you. Don't be arrogant. Command them, don't be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. What does that mean? That means what's valuable today may not be valuable tomorrow. Those tech stocks that look so good today, they may not be valuable next year. How, how many, if you've been around a while, you remember when the South American utility stocks, I mean, that was the latest, greatest stock and a lot of people made money. But you know what? It, it, it made money for a while and then there was a bubble. 
You know, real estate was valuable for a while. How many of you remember after the presidency of Mr. Bill Clinton, real estate just kept going up and up and up and up and up and people were leveraging everything. In other words, leverage means they were borrowing. They were borrowing everything and, bought and, 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 and getting real estate thinking, this is my, my pathway to security. This is my pathway. Things are going to work out good. And if you bought property back in 2005 and 2006, you bought property right at the height of the bubble. I know some of our kids one of our kids bought a house in 2006. And by 2009, that house, after three years, was worth only two-thirds of what they had paid for it. And then they had to sell it. And I know some of you had that experience. Some of you have told me, yeah, Pastor, I was upside down with a piece of property. And thank God the bank came in and, and helped me with it. And it, and it, didn't, it didn't get on my, on my credit score. I don't know what happened, but the bank didn't help our kids. Our kids just found themselves upside down. And it just so happened they moved from here and they, they, they moved to another state. And they, for a year and a half, they lived with, with my son-in-law's brother and his family just so they could pay off all of that indebtedness and start saving some more. And they came to Kathy and I said, what are we going to do? We've tithed and we've given to God. We can't believe that this has happened to us. And I said, guys, this is not the time to stop believing God. I'm going to tell you something. Great victories come out of great trials. <laughs> great victories. See, here's the problem. It's like the guy who came to me one day and said, Terrell, would you pray for me that I never have any more problems in life? I said, what do you, you want me to pray that you die? The devil will use problems to try to harm you and try to hurt you, but God will use those same problems to make you strong. You say, but pastor, I've been suffering. Let me just read a scripture to you. I mean, we obviously don't have this on the screens, but here it is. First Peter five, verse 10. It says, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you've suffered a little while, he will restore, support, strengthen you, and he'll place you on a firm foundation. I'm going to tell you, you may be suffering now, but God's at work. He's restoring, he's supporting, he's strengthening you, he's placing you on a firm foundation. All power be to him forever. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Kathy and I looked at our kids and we said, kids, you got to believe God. When it's time, when you've saved enough more money and it's no longer time for you to keep living with your relatives, I believe that God is big enough to open a door for you because there have been other people affected by this recession. And God is my witness. Our kids found a brand new construction. They found a builder who was upside down. They found a builder who had a house priced, never been lived in, had a house priced at a certain amount. They offered him two-thirds of what that house was selling for, and the man accepted it. Hallelujah. Glory to God. It's a bigger house than Kathy and I have. Hallelujah. David said, I've been young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or a seed begging bread. And when you've got your back against the wall, it's not a time to say, oh, poor me. Why is God letting me go through this? This is a time for you to say, Lord, I thank you that, that I may be going through a difficult time. But James said that I'm to count it all joy and I'm going to count it all joy and I'm going to believe you. And God, you're strengthening me and you're establishing me. And Lord God, you're putting me on a rock and these hard times are not going to last but I'm going to continue. Whatever you do, don't give up. Aren't you glad Joseph didn't give up when he was in Egypt? Aren't you glad Moses didn't give up when Pharaoh kept lying to him? Aren't you glad Jesus didn't get tired of putting up with Peter and the other disciples and just give up on the human race? Don't ever give up. Somewhere, I, I, I kind of left, left my outline, but I, I, I'll find it here. Let's go back to 1 Timothy 6, 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, 
nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope. I don't care how much money you're worth. I don't care if you're worth a billion dollars or if you're upside down. Here's the deal. Every one of us, we've got to put our hope in God who richly provides for us with everything for our enjoyment. You say, but pastor, I got some bills. Yeah, but you, what, what you can enjoy are some, some sunrises and some sundown, some, 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 the sun going down, some sunsets. <laughs> I'll get it out. And then we'll say, Jesus, help him. It won't cost you a penny. Hallelujah. You can go outside, especially on these cooler fall days, take a big... (sighs) You can enjoy the smell of the pine trees and it's not going to cost you a penny. You can look up towards the clouds. You can see the blue clouds and the sun. You can see the moon at night and it's not going to cost you a penny. Hallelujah. He's given us all things richly. I said richly to enjoy. Hallelujah. See, if riches brought happiness, then wealthy people would be the most content people in the world. Think about that. Kathy and I lived on the North Shore of Chicago for 14 years. That happens to be the headquarters of the Walgreens Association and the Walgreens family lives there. Now, what is Walgreens known for? They're, they were a drugstore, pharmaceutical. They sold drugs, right? Now they sell a lot of alcohol. Do you know, and this is, this is front page headlines of the Chicago Tribune, do you know that their kids are drug addicts and alcoholics? They got all the money in the world. But money can't buy happiness. So many people, they come into a little bit of money. You read their stories, people that, people that, that win the lottery. Some of them go crazy and end up far worse off because they just don't know how to stop spending. But some of them, they get so afraid they're going to lose their money. Oh, the government's going to come and take all my money away. They get afraid of how can I invest it so that it can at least keep pace with inflation and what am I going to do? How am I going to get an estate plan so that my, my, my children, if they inherit it, they don't go crazy with it. What am I going to do? And they just worry, 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 worry. Here's the third myth. To be wealthy is a sin. How many of you have ever thought that? Let me just see your hands. Anybody? Because when I was a kid, I used to think that wealthy people, they must have gotten their wealth by lying and cheating and Stealing and you know what I'm sure some people have done that But you know what there's a lot of people that are wealthy that are very honest Upright people, you know, I I think we all get influenced when we read about the Wall Street types Who have the executives who end up stealing millions from stockholders or millions from their corporations I mean, you know, you, you read about the Enrons and the MCIs and other companies where that's happened to it This is a, listen to this, just read it the other day. Business schools today, including the Harvard School of Business, business schools today are on a search for one source that they can all use to teach business ethics. Did you hear me? They're all looking for one source that they can teach tomorrow's executives about ethics And they can't seem to to establish what that might be. Duh. It's called the Bible. The Bible says thou shalt not steal. The Bible says thou shalt not lie. The Bible says thou shalt not covet. Come on. This word's a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. Guys, I like to think about people like J.C. Penney's. And I know J.C. Penney's and Sears are having a tough, tough time. They're closing a lot of stores because of the online buying with Amazon and all that stuff. But I think about J.C. Penney. When he was a young man, he decided he wanted to work in a mercantile shop. He wanted to sell dry goods. That's another way for saying he was going to be a salesman, a salesperson in the mall. And he went out west to Montana. He took a job 
in a store called the Golden Rule Store. Now, what a name for a store. What is the Golden Rule? Treat others as you want them to treat you. So that's what was this, that was the, the mission and the vision of this store. They had about 10 or 12 stores. They're all out west. And the owners, the other two, the, the, the two men that owned it were getting older and they saw how hard J.C. Penney worked. And they said, wouldn't you like to be our partner, be a third partner? Well, they did that for a couple of years. And then the two owners decided they wanted to retire. So James Cash Penny bought out the other two men and he changed the name from the Golden Rule Store to J.C. Penney's Department Stores. And he says, I've got a vision. I want to put a store in every town in America. And he was immensely successful. He made millions and millions of dollars. And then in 1929 was the Great Recession. Wall Street fell apart. J.C. Penney lost almost everything he had, but he was determined, if I do anything, I'm going to keep my stores open and I'm going to keep making payroll. And so in order to do that, he borrowed against his life insurance policies. He kept his stores open. But it had a terrible effect on him. He suffered a nervous breakdown. And so he went to a sanatorium in Battle Creek, Michigan, that was run by w, Dr. W.W. W. Kellogg. You know, his brother came out with Kellogg cereal, okay? So he's up here at this sanatorium. They have a chapel service going on. He hasn't been to church or chapel or thought about God in years. He walks into this chapel service and there is being led by the doctors and nurses and they are singing an old hymn called God Will Take Care of You. Now, it's not a hymn that we sing, but believe me, it's based on Philippians 4.19 that God shall supply all of our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. J.C. Penney hears them singing this song. He has a seat and the Holy Spirit begins to deal with his heart. J.C. Penney ends up uh, asking Jesus to come into his life to forgive him of his sins. He is born again. J.C. Penney then starts putting what today would be the equivalent of hundreds of millions of dollars into the cause of Christ. But the story doesn't end there. In 1940, J.C. Penney goes to Iowa and he meets a young man who, who people in the story said, he's up and coming. You should keep an eye on him. This young man's name was Sam Walton. J.C. Penney begins to work with Sam Walton. Sam Walton goes on and works with Rose's department stores and then starts Walmart. Sam Walton was a committed Christian and as long as Sam Walton was alive, Walmart was putting hundreds of millions of dollars into Christian causes. Can you say hallelujah? I, I, I think about R.G. Letourneau. R.G. Letourneau. Is a, you're shaking, you're an engineer, you know who Letourneau was. Well, R.G. Letourneau dropped out of school when he was in the sixth grade. But he had this creative, mechanical mind. And R.G. Letourneau became the leading manufacturer of earth-moving equipment in the world. In fact, R.G. Letourneau had four companies, four manufacturing plants that were on different continents of the world. And R.G. Letourneau loved Jesus Christ with all his heart. In fact, he's a member of the Christian and Missionary Alliance denomination. It's a small denomination, even smaller than the Assemblies of God. But here he is. He's a member of the Christian and Missionary Alliance Association. He starts putting millions of dollars into the cause of Christ. And R.G. Letourneau starts building churches everywhere he can. In fact, I found myself over 30 years ago preaching in a Christian and Missionary Alliance church in Lima, Peru. And they said, oh, by the way, this is a Laterno church. I didn't know what that meant. I'm going to tell you, it was a nice church. It, was, it sat about a thousand people. And, 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 and we ended up having, we had three services in there and the glory of God showed up. Hallelujah. Dear ones, I thank God for people like this who understand that it's okay to have money as long as money doesn't have you. Myth number four. Money is the root of all evil. You know, over the years, I've had dozens of people say to me, say, well, you know, Pastor, the Bible says, I'm not sure where it's found, but the Bible says money is the root of all evil. And I'll just smile at them and listen. And I say, well, let me show you what the scripture says. And I take them to 1 Timothy chapter 6. 
hope we can pull that out. First Timothy chapter six, verse 10. Let me read it to you. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Let me read that to you again because you're just listening. For the love of money, money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves through with many griefs. Dear ones, here's the truth. Money is amoral. Money is not good and money is not bad. It's the love of money that corrupts the hearts of people. How many of you remember the story of the rich young ruler in the Gospels? One day this young man came to Jesus and he, was, he had a lot of assets. He was a very wealthy man. And he said, Jesus, what does it take to be saved? I'm interested in following you. And you remember Jesus looked at him and he says, well, you got to follow the commandments. And he says, all these I've kept since I was a little boy. He says, well, one thing you lack. He says, you need to take what you own and sell it and give it to the poor that you may have treasure in heaven. And the Bible says the young man went away sad because he had many belongings. What was the problem? The young man loved his stuff more than he loved God. He loved what money could buy him more than he loved Jesus. Jesus said, if you and I will seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, then everything else will be added unto us. See, here's the problem. You can't get the cart in front of the horse. The horse has to fool the cart. And the horse is loving God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Because money makes a great tool, but a horrible master. In fact, Jesus said, you can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and money. He says, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. Let me ask you some questions. In the book of Joshua, why did Achan bring death to himself and disaster to the armies of Israel? Why? The love of money. He took some Egyptian gold and silver and a precious garment and buried it when it was supposed to all come into the treasury of God. It was the principle of the first fruits. It was the very first city, Jericho. Let me ask you another question. Why did Delilah betray Samson? Because of the love of money. Why did Judas betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver? It's the love of money. Acts chapter 5. Why did Ananias and Sapphira lie to the Holy Spirit? Come on, it was the love of money. It was the love of stuff. Dear ones, we didn't bring anything into this world. We're not going to take anything out of this world. John D. Rockefeller, senior, established Standard Oil. And at one time, he was the richest man who was known on the face of the earth at that time. After John G. Rockefeller passed away, his chief accountant was asked, how much did John D. leave behind? So the, the accountant said all of it. He left everything behind. Because, dear ones, it's just, a, it's just a tool. We can use it on this earth, but when life is over, you can't lose it anymore. One of the wonderful things that Sister Lou and the Hearst family did, they said, instead of sending flowers, send gifts to the church and they told me they said we want half the gifts to go to missions because brother Noel loved missions at age 80 he was traveling he traveled not once but twice to Hawaii to work with youth with the mission to do construction work for them in fact I think one time he got over there it just landed and he got news that his, that his brother had passed away didn't he 
And he ended up having to come back. Do you know that he and Sister Lou, because they were retired military, they could, they could, they could fly on military planes if there was space allowed. That is not first class travel, guys. That is not business class travel. That is pretty rugged travel. But they've traveled around the world. That's right. They've traveled around the world to do missions work because, again, where your treasure is is where your heart's going to be. And Brother Knowles treasure was the kingdom of God. Brother Noel's treasure was missions so that all can hear that God loves them, so that all can hear that God sent his son to die and to, 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 to be raised again on the third day. And he took our sins and he took our sicknesses upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed and we can have newness of life. Hallelujah. Dear ones, the truth, you can't take anything with you. I remember the story about the, the fellow who passed away and somehow, somewhere, I don't know how this happened, but he got some gold bullion up to heaven. He's standing before St. Peter and St. Peter says, well, welcome to heaven. What's that in your hand? He says, oh, it's something that was precious to me on earth. He says, well, what is it? He says, it's, it's gold bullion. And St. Peter says, you brought asphalt with you to heaven? They paved the streets with translucent gold. There was gold and silver don't have any inerrant value. It's just that they're, they're pretty rare. And for thousands of years, people on earth have been using them as standards of trade. We get so worried, Lord, how am I going to live? What's going to happen to Social Security? What's going to happen to Medicare and Medicaid? And how are the Democrats going to provide Medicaid and Medicare for all? And how is this going to work out? And how is that going to work out? <laughs> Jesus said, consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin, but your heavenly Father provides for them. Consider the sparrow. God sees the sparrow when she falls. God's got the number of hairs on your head counted. David said, I've never been, I am young and now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or seed begging bread. We need you just to arise and say, God, I thank you. I don't know how, but you're going to take care of me. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you're supplying every need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. I thank you for financial wisdom. I thank you for understanding, Lord God. I thank you that my heart is far from greed. I thank you that my heart is far from covetousness. Lord God, I thank you that I've got a heart for you and you alone. And Jesus, I'm seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness. Somebody say hallelujah. hallelujah. Glory to God. Some years ago, I was talking to a pastor and he told me that he had preached an entire sermon series based on Philippians 419, which says, and my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And he said that he preached six sermons based on that one verse of scripture. And I don't know how he did it, but, but he did it. He said at the end of that sermon series, he had a single mother in his church. She was on welfare. She was on food stamps. And she came to him and she says, Pastor, I just believe God wants me to be successful with what my hands touch. And she said, Pastor, I, I've been praying. And when I pray and I get still before God, in my heart of hearts, I can see myself going to the dollar store and buying things and then selling them online. Pastor, do you think that could be the Holy Spirit? And the pastor said, yes, I do. That little lady only had $20, but she went to the, to the dollar store and she bought $20 worth of merchandise. And then she put it online and advertised it and she sold it at a 300% markup. And do you know that she sold everything that she had bought? And so she got her, her earnings from that and she didn't go eat up her seed corn. She paid her tithe on that. And then she went back to the dollar store and she bought some more stuff and she sold that and she bought some more stuff and she sold that. And and this pastor told me that by the end of the year, that dear lady, after taxes, had cleared over $40,000. The Bible says the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the righteous. But it's not about you and me trying to live the lifestyles of the rich and famous. 
The people that I know that have got money live far below their means. The people that I know that have money, they live in houses and they can afford to live in, in, in houses three and four and five and six times that size. The people I know, they're very frugal and they're very careful and they're wise investors. And I'll say this, the people that I know that have the gift of giving, they don't mind giving. They just want to make sure that the recipients are good stewards. That's the reason here at Evangel, our pastoral staff, we work at being good stewards. In fact, I remind our guys, folks, when it comes to establishing our budgets, when it comes to spending money, there's some widow woman out there that's tithing on her social security check, and you better be careful the way you spend it. Now, our God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. But he's careful. How many baskets did Jesus pick up after he multiplied those two fish sticks and those five hush puppies? How many basketfuls did they pick up? Twelve! You say, well, why didn't he just say, oh, just let the people have it? Because Jesus was frugal. Ooh, don't shout me down because you're getting so excited now. Jesus was careful. And I believe he wanted that little boy who provided the two fish sticks and the five hush puppies. He wanted that little boy to have a basket to go home with. Hallelujah. We're told that if we'll seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, then everything else will be added unto us. We don't serve Jesus for the loaves and fishes. Over in John chapter 6 Starting in chapter 5 and then 6 and 7, you'll find that all these people who had enjoyed the miracle of the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, a whole lot of them, they, they start following Jesus. And what they, what they wanted is for Jesus to constantly provide for them. They loved that form of Holy Ghost socialism. They, they wanted Jesus just to do miracles for them. There are some people that want that today. But that's not the way it was done. And the Bible says that there are so many people that departed Jesus, that Jesus looked at the disciples. He says, are you going to leave me too? Why did they leave? Because they were just serving for the loaves and the fishes. We don't just serve for the loaves and fishes. We serve Jesus because he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's the reigning, ruling monarch of the universe. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the source, the force, and the course. He is the resurrection, and he is the life. He is God become flesh, and one day he's going to come back on a white horse. And if, if we go to heaven before then, then one day we're going to wake up in heaven. We're going we're gonna to be on this earth one second and in the next second we're going to wake up in heaven hallelujah and eternity is a long 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 time this earth is a short 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 time Paul says the sufferings of this present world they're not worthy to be compared with the glory that awaits us what am I preaching and teaching today? I'm teaching that Jesus doesn't care. God doesn't care what you have as long as what you have doesn't have you. Jesus wants to be Lord of your heart. We don't serve Jesus just for the loaves and fishes. We don't serve Jesus because we think it's a get quick, get rich quick scheme. Paul says there's some that preach the gospel for all the wrong reasons. They think that godliness is gain. You'll find that in 1 Timothy chapter 6. There are some preachers, he said, that come along and they try to introduce heresies and difficult things to understand because they think it's a way to make a quick buck. There are better ways to make a buck. I can tell you that right now. We serve Jesus because he is our God. He's our master. Hallelujah. 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 Just bow your heads and close your eyes. Norm, come on to the keyboard, if you will. Nobody moving, nobody talking. Bow your heads, close your eyes. We should say, Terrell, today, today, I need to get my heart right with God. Today, I, I want my heart to be in right relationship 
with Jesus. If I died today, I, I don't know if I'd wake up in heaven or not. Ask yourself that question. If you died today, would you wake up in heaven? Because if not, this is a great opportunity to get things right with God. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. No, not one. The Bible says, and this is, God demonstrates his love towards us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Think about that. Jesus didn't wait for you and me to get our act together before he died on the cross. He didn't wait to see if we really meant it. He just went ahead and died and suffered for you and me, took our place. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. All over this house. All over this house. Just want to give you an opportunity to call on the name of the Lord today. You say, I've known the Lord, but I fell away from him. I've known the Lord, but some bad things happened. Well, we live in a fallen world, and sometimes bad things happen to good people. But I want you to know, Jesus says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. All over this house. Terrell, I need Jesus today. Just lift your hands up and leave it up until I see it. Lift your hands up. Yes, ma'am, I see your hand. Yes, sir. I see your hand on the far right. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am, I see your hand. Anybody else? Terrell, I need the Lord Jesus today. Anybody else all over this house? Don't say another day. Don't say another time. You don't know that you'll have another opportunity. You don't know that you'll be in another service like this. This is your opportunity. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Terrell, I need Jesus in my life. Anybody else? We pray right now that God uses this message to plant good eternal seeds deep into your soul. For more information, visit our website, evangelag.org. Evangel's all about making the name of Jesus famous and his church glorious. We love God, love people, and love life. And we're here for you, working to help draw people from impossible situations into a loving and friendly circle of hope where answers are found and acceptance is given. We invite you to join us for any of our services, Sunday mornings at 1030 and Wednesday evenings at 7. We're located at 2300 Old Bainbridge Road in Tallahassee. We have fantastic programs for kids and youth, and small groups to make deeper connections. And we pray that God blesses you richly and abundantly as you continue to seek Him first in all of your life.